calendars are usually filled with important events that we're not supposed to forget. And the children of Israel's calendar was no different. They had many important events as well. Events that God wanted them to celebrate, like the Passover and the commemoration of them being delivered from bondage in the land of Egypt. As believers, God instructs us to remember the most significant event in history for us, and that is His sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. And when we celebrate communion, we are reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for us on Calvary. He instituted communion to be a continual reminder to us of His incredible love that was expressed for us on the cross at Calvary. We're to remember the body of the Lord that was, as Isaiah says, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and His blood that is shed for the remission of our sins. Jesus died only once. He died to pay for the sins of the whole world. And we are reminded of that when we come to this time of communion. By participating in communion, we acknowledge the fact that our iniquities and our transgressions that put Jesus through that indescribable torture on the cross at Calvary have been paid for in full and have been forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we take that cup in our hand, that we will in a few moments, we realize that His blood was shed for our sins and that His blood cleanses us from all of our sins. His blood also, the Bible tells us, is the ransom price that He paid for our deliverance, not only from our sins, but from Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 1, you're familiar with the verses there in verses 18 and 19. He says, For as much as you, were, you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ and of a lamb, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I'm glad today that we are cleansed and forgiven and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he makes it clear in that passage, he says, we're redeemed not with corruptible things as silver and gold. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't buy somebody else's way into heaven. It was paid for in full on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at several things this morning in, in the matter of communion. First of all, notice with me the enlightenment of communion. The enlightenment. It was at the communion table that Jesus revealed himself as the sacrificial lamb. He enlightened his disciples. He wanted them to understand that his body was broken, his blood was shed. Verse 28 of our, of our text in Matthew 26 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. His blood was shed to remit, to cleanse, to take away our sin. It is also at that same table that the Lord revealed the true nature of his disciples. Now think about this for a minute. We commonly talk about communion and we think about the death, the burial, we think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, it is also a time for us to see ourselves. And here at the, at the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, you begin to see the true nature of the disciples. One of them would betray him. And all of them would be offended because of him. And they would forsake him. 
One would deny him three times before the night was over. You think about the, the crew that the Lord had there and that he served communion to. It's kind of interesting. The spiritual illumination that takes place at a properly conducted communion service serves not only to remind us of the death of Christ and his shed blood, but also to help us to look inwardly and see ourselves as we really are. The two disciples were on the road to Damascus ever the re after the, or to the road of, to Emmaus after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus joined them along the way and, and he participated in their conversation. But you remember, they didn't recognize him at first. And the Bible says he began at Moses and all the prophets and expounded all the things concerning himself. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament like we do today. So when he expounded all the passages and things concerning himself, it was from the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament tell us about Jesus, amen? We learn a lot about him from the Old Testament. And as they walked along the road, the Bible says, they said their hearts, did not our hearts burn within ourselves as he spoke with us? And yet they still didn't recognize who he was. Recognition occurred only when they sat down with the Lord Jesus and he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. And Acts 24, or Luke 24 says, their eyes were open and they knew him. Part of the communion is God opening our eyes and we get to know him a little bit more. Paul's greatest goal in life was that he might know Christ and that he might know him in an intimate way. He said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's the very purpose of the communion table. It is to enter into the fellowship of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that we are being conformed to his death so that we might experience his life in our bodies as we live for him and serve him. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ longs for this kind of intimate fellowship with his people on a regular basis. Oftentimes in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, we think of the verse there, the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And we use that verse commonly to speak of the Lord knocking at our heart's door and, and, and we invite him in for salvation. And that certainly is an application to that, but that's not the primary purpose of that verse. The Lord is standing at the heart's door of every believer saying, I want to come in and sup with you. I want to fellowship with you. And that's what we do at the Lord's table. We fellowship with Him. And God longs for that fellowship. He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need anything. But I'm glad we have a God who allows us to have a personal relationship with Him through His Son. And we can enjoy that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the enlightenment, he opens our eyes to know him. He opens our eyes to know us. Secondly, notice the preparation for communion. What is the preparation? After the church at Jerusalem had, was established, the first mention of communion is, Acts chapter, is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, this procedure of hearing the word of God preached before the breaking of the bread together was also demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ here in Matthew in the Last Supper 
and before he broke the bread with the disciples, the two on the road to Damascus. You remember he first talked to them about the Old Testament passages that revealed himself to them. Before the Last Supper, Jesus had given his disciples commandments that his heavenly Father had given to, to him. And based on that, he stated to them in the middle of his discussion on the importance of his commandments in John chapter 15 and verse 3, he said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word of God cleanses us. It has a purifying process and effect on our lives. And we hear the word of God. He later prayed to his heavenly Father in John 17 and verse 17. He said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus, before he broke the bread with the two disciples, he expounded to them from all of the Old Testament scriptures that referred to himself. And it's those scriptures, it is those rhemas of God's word that he speaks to our heart and helps us to understand who Jesus is and what he wants to accomplish in and through our life. In Romans 10, 17, you know the verse that says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We hear God's word. And as we hear God's word, it prepares us to cleanse our hearts and to partake of the communion with him. Thirdly, notice the prerequisites of communion. What are the prerequisites? Sacred events that are repeated over and over oftentimes will lose their significance and become meaningless rituals. And I find that to be true even in this area of communion. There are some churches and religions and denominations that practice communion every time they have a service. And I'm not faulting, there's not, there's not anything wrong with that, but we have to be careful that it doesn't become a meaningless ritual that we just go through over and over and over again. The believers in the Corinthian church were abusing the communion table, and they had turned it into an opportunity of indulgence for their own lusts, and Paul rebuked them for their disorderliness, and he gave them detailed instructions of how to carry out the Lord's Supper. And the first step was to be carried out this matter of self-examination before we partake of that broken cup. He had been there a hundred times before, holding short of the runway. The seasoned pilot of his single-engine plane waited for clearance, to take off. It was just another routine flight to him, and as he waited, his mind wandered. The process had become so familiar that he only glanced at his pre-trip checklist and didn't bother going through it. Receiving clearance from the control tower, he added power and took off. However, the plane, as it lifted up the, off of the ground, he realized something was wrong, and moments later, the airplane crashed. Every pilot knows that his life and the life of all of the folks on the plane depend not only on his skill to fly the plane, but on his thoroughness to carefully check the plane out and go through his pre-flight checklist before he takes off. And similarly, a thorough examination of our own life, our spiritual life, is very important for us. Self-examination is the primary purpose and reason for communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, the Bible says, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And Paul continues to give some very stern warnings 
Which brings me to the next thing, the fourth thing, and that is the self-examination before communion. The self-examination. I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment, if you'll, if you'll find your place there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have trouble finding that, it comes right before 2 Corinthians. All right? That'll help you find 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11 comes right after chapter 10. I'd add those very insightful thoughts for our teenagers. It helps them to find the passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 29 with me. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. The Lord teaches us that we are to have this matter of self-examination. Each of the disciples knew that they were capable of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when, when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, when he said to them, One of you shall betray me, the Bible says they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? What were they doing? They were examining themselves. He said, one of you is going to betray me. They didn't say, I know who it is. They said, Lord, is it me? I'm capable. You know, we're capable of a lot of things, aren't we? We all have a sinful nature that we're born with and we deal with and struggle with. And the idea of the Lord's Supper is we stop and we ask the Lord, examine my life. Show me if there's anything in my life that I need to deal with. And the disciples knew that they were capable of betraying the Lord and betraying all that he had taught them, even though they had walked with him through the years. And we also are to examine our lives on this important matter. When Jesus prophesied in verse 31, he said, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, and shall be scattered abroad. He said all of them would be offended. And Peter, you remember, he spoke up and he vehemently denied that that would ever happen to him in fact, he said he was ready to die for the Lord. He would go to prison and even die for him. His intentions were strong. His intentions were admirable. But his human weakness was tested and he failed and he fell, didn't he? This undiscerned weakness that Peter and the other disciples had at the first communion was a spirit of pride that they had in their own heart and their life. Because right after the Lord's Supper, they began to have an argument with each other and guess what the argument was about? Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You see, sometimes our biggest failure is our pride. Why do I need to examine myself? I would never do that. I would never betray the Lord. I would never... Be careful of your pride. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, it says, There was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And Jesus responded to their dispute in verse 26, and he said, He that is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. You see, the more we uncover our true nature, the more we see our need for the power of God in our life to change us to become more like him. Communion is a reminder to us to set aside our pride 
and to realize the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross at Calvary in order that we might have His life, eternal life, and live for Him. And one of the ways that we can prepare our hearts for communion is by asking some questions that are related to the commands that the Lord gave us. For instance, the Lord said in Matthew 4 and verse 17, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So as we think about that command, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it would be wise for us to ask ourselves some questions. First of all, do I have a humble and repentant spirit? Or do I have a spirit of pride lifted up thinking I would never do those things? Secondly, have I fully repented of my sin? I'm not talking about salvation. We repent when we trust Christ as our Savior, yes. But as a believer, we come to the Lord's table and we're, we're examining ourselves. Have I repented of the sin in my life? And thirdly, have I acknowledged my guilt for breaking God's commandments? There's another commandment the Lord gave in Matthew 5 and verse 24. And He said, Be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Be reconciled to your brother. When we think about that command, we can ask ourselves some additional questions. Am I aware of anyone who is holding something against me? When we come to take of the Lord's Supper, it's a good time for us to just stop and say, is there anybody that I have offended that, that they are holding something against me, and I've not tried to make it right with them? Perhaps we should ask, have I asked forgiveness of those whom I have offended? I'm sure none of you have ever offended anybody. Have you asked forgiveness? Have you asked their forgiveness? Have I taken responsibility for all my words and actions? We can say things that are pretty powerful, can't we? The old saying, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? Words can hurt us, can't they? Have I said words that have offended my husband or my wife? Have I said words that have offended my children? Have I said words on the job that offend people that work around me? Have I taken responsibility for my words and actions? Be prayerful. Be thorough as you examine yourself as we come to the Lord's table and be prepared to partake in a worthy manner and not partake unworthily. And then fifthly, notice the association of communion. The association of communion. Whenever we partake of the Lord's table, we're affirming the blood covenant that exists between us as believers in the body of Christ. Every Christian, every believer, we are interconnected. We're a part of the same body, just like my body. These fingers are, are all connected to this hand, and, and these fingers over here on this hand, they're not connected to this hand, but they're connected to the body. They're all part of the same body. We are, if we're saved, we're all a part of the same body. Amen? We're interrelated, interconnected. And therefore, as we have this corporate relationship with each other, we have to be right with each other if we're going to have fellowship with each other. And we have to be right with each other if we're going to have fellowship with God because He's the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. And that corporate relationship that we have is the basis for our fellowship. It's the basis for our edification. It's the basis for reproof. It's the basis for exhortation. It is the basis for whatever goes on between believers that keeps us from being what we ought to be. 
It's also the basis that James talked about in chapter 5 and verse 16. He said, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. God says there's a connection between our confessing and examining our life and making things right prior to communion with our physical conditions. I think of a young lady. Her name was regularly on the prayer list. It was not one sickness that she had, but several. And it seemed like one and then another and over and over. And They were genuine illnesses, but prayer for her didn't seem to help her with the conditions that she was dealing with. Nor did she improve after many visits to the doctors, after taking countless numbers of pills and various medicine. Her list of ailments continued year after year after year. Yet in her case, there was no need for these ongoing physical afflictions because her condition and cure was identified by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Paul said, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. When asked if she was in fellowship with the Lord, she said, Yes, of course I'm in fellowship with the Lord. However, when she was asked if there were any people against whom she was bitter, she quickly admitted that there was. She did not realize the vital connection that existed between loving God and loving each other. Consequently, she was neglecting the warnings that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave. He said that if we refuse to forgive our offenders, he'll deliver us unto the tormentors. And in her case, the tormentors were rheumatoid arthritis, back pain, osteoporosis, allergies, and several other self-destructive diseases that she had. The connection between physical disease and lack of thorough spiritual examination is explained for us in the book of James. Look with me, if you will, to chapter 5 of James, beginning in verse number 14. James chapter 5 and verse number 14. Notice what the Lord says there. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now you say, preacher, do you anoint people with oil? Sometimes we do. But if you notice that verse, it says, if any is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Who's supposed to call for the elders to anoint them? The person that's sick, right? In a lot of the healing services you see today, it's the person, who, the, the preacher who's calling for them to come, or the elders that are calling for them to come. It's the opposite of what Scripture says. It says, let him call for the elders and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now notice verse 16, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that ye may be what? Healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The passage doesn't say in verse number 14, is any among you, is any sick among you, let him call for the doctor. It says let him call for the elders. Now I'm not against going to doctors. I've gone to a few myself. I've gone to a few that I wish I hadn't gone to. 
Isn't it amazing how we can go to the doctor and he can write a prescription that you can't even read? Words that you can't even understand and you take it to the pharmacist and you, you trust the pharmacist to give you what he says and we take it all... I don't want to get sidetracked there, but... <laughs> I'm thankful for good medicine. There have been times when I've been in the hospital, a couple of times with kidney stones, three times, as a matter of fact, with kidney stones. I'm sure glad for some medicine that helped me. I'm thankful for that. But don't forget prayer. Amen? You know, it seems like many times the last resort is, well, we've tried everything else, why don't we try praying? Or we say this, they're in terrible condition, there's nothing left to do but pray. It's like that's the, that, that's the, the least thing. We've tried everything else, so now let's try praying. The Lord says the prayer, you come and you pray, and, and you call in some cases for the elders to come. And why do you have the elders come? Because they can help us discern whether the sickness is sickness unto death. The Bible says there is a sickness unto death. Or it may be a sickness that is chastening of the Lord in your life. And that's why he says here, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. You make things right. Or it may be a sickness that is for the glory of God. Sometimes we're sick because God wants to get glory to himself. In John chapter 10, there was a man who was blind. And the disciples asked him, or the Pharisees, I think it was, asked him, is this sickness because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. It's so that God could be glorified. And sometimes the healing is something that God will bring glory. Sometimes the sickness God brings glory from. When this particular woman I was talking about confessed her sin of unforgiveness and forgave and blessed the ones that had deeply hurt her, she immediately began to experience renewed health. You see, God has designed us in such a way that unresolved conflicts in our life oftentimes produce guilt and bitterness and fears and depression and a host of other illnesses that can directly affect our physical body. John related physical health to the condition of the soul when he said in 3 John verse 2, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Let me ask you a question. What if you were as physically well as you are spiritually well? Should we call some ambulances to come right now and... Well, I'm glad the Lord doesn't always say, well, you're not doing too good spiritually, so I'm going to take care of some... I'm glad He is merciful, amen? But sometimes in our life, there can be things that need to be dealt with. And part of the Lord's Supper, we come, we examine, we deal with them, so that if we judge ourselves, God doesn't have to judge us and chasten us. Then notice with me, if you will, the elements of communion. What are the elements that we partake of? The Last Supper in the New Testament, was actually the Passover feast that took place on the first day of the week-long feast of unleavened bread. According to God's law, there was to be no leaven in the house. When we take the Lord's Supper, the bread that we use has no leaven in it. I'll explain that in a minute. They weren't allowed at the Passover to even have any leaven in the house. They had to get their house clean. Well, it would be good for us sometimes to do some house cleaning, wouldn't it? Amen? Some things that we need to get out of our house that we don't need there, that shouldn't be there, we shouldn't allow in our homes. But the obvious reason for this is that Scripture teaches that yeast or leaven usually represents sin. To have yeast in the bread or in the cup 
would be sacrilegious because these elements represent the body. The, the bread represents the body. The, the juice represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if yeast represents sin, then you can't have yeast in those because Jesus was sinless. Amen? He was perfect, this perfect Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, there are different Hebrew words that are translated wine or strong drink. And it's much easier in the Old Testament to understand exactly what God's talking about. These words identify fermentation or identify the lack of it. However, except for one exception in the New Testament, usually the word wine is the word onios. And the same word is used whether it's for wine or strong drink. And so you have to read the context in order to discern whether or not it's fermented or unfermented. You know, people always throw up, it's all right for you to drink because Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, read the context. God's not going to tell you to do one thing and then he's going to do something opposite. Proverbs says, wine is a what? Mocker. And strong drink is raging. And whoso is deceived thereby is not wise. And there are many verses in Proverbs. But in the New Testament, you've got to look and read carefully the context to understand whether it's talking about intoxicated, fermented, or unfermented. All three gospel accounts of the Last Supper did not even use the word wine, but rather they all used the word cup or the fruit of the vine which would be grape juice. You see, unleavened bread and grape juice were used because it does not represent leaven or fermentation, which represents sin. That's why we use unleavened bread. That's why we use grape juice in the Lord's Supper. We don't want to use something that, is, that represents sin to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Got about a third of you that time with me. Amen. Then notice with me the frequency of communion. How often should we partake of communion? Jesus did not say how often we should take communion. He simply said in 1 Corinthians 11.25, This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. He said as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. Now, he did leave the testimony of how often the early, how often the early Christians celebrated it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, the Jerusalem church continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They did it every day. Determining the frequency of communion is somewhat like determining the frequency of a bath. Based on the purpose of Thorough self-examination, you ought to take it as often as you need it. For some of us, that means we better take it daily. Huh. So the Lord doesn't tell us how often, but he says when you do, you do it in remembrance of me. And then notice the place of communion. Where do you take communion? Does the Bible say anything about that? Sure it does. Sometimes people ask, must communion always be taken in church? Since it's one of the ordinances of the church, that's usually where we observe it. We observe communion in the church. However, Jesus conducted the first communion where? It was in the upper room, wasn't it? 
and all the 12 disciples were present. By the way, for those that practiced closed communion, he didn't refuse communion to Judas, even though Judas was about to betray him, even though Judas was a thief and stole from the treasury and was not even saved. So we got some problems with that if we're going to decide who we're going to present it to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we examine ourselves. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're in a right relationship with God. And partake of the communion. Examine your own life. After the resurrection, Jesus celebrated the breaking of the bread in a, in a private home with two unknown, unnamed disciples. They were on the road to Demaeus, and they got to the house, and they went in, and in the home, he broke bread with them. The number was two, two of them and Jesus. That constitutes a quorum needed for Christ to be in the midst of them. He said in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. According to Acts 2.46, the breaking of bread took place from house to house. And in that day, the first century, many of the churches were in houses. In Corinth, communion was held in the local assembly. And there, it was to be separated from their main meal. So most of the time, we, we celebrate communion in the church. Sometimes, they did it house to house, or they did it in houses. Now, there's some perplexing questions about communion, very quickly. Why did Jesus not take the cup after this? Look at verse 29 of Matthew 26, if you're still there. Verse 29 says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In each of the gospel accounts, Jesus said, I will not drink henceforth, or he worded it another way, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Luke 22.16, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. By not drinking the cup again, Jesus was focusing the attention of the disciples beyond the cross. Remember, they, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. And the, the bread represented his broken body, and the blood represented his blood. And their focus is going to be on the cross, but he wanted them to see beyond the cross. Beyond the cross, there's the kingdom of God and there's the eternity with Him forever and forever. You know, it's interesting, the, the angels celebrated the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ with splendor and anthems of praise, but God wants us to celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ with a somber reflection and deep examination, self-examination of our life. It's understanding the purpose and procedures of the communion table that we experience fellowship with the Lord and with all the members of the body, the family. And so think about these personal questions in closing. Do you come to church when we observe communion? Well, we're here today, so you can say yes. Amen? We normally do it here at our church the first Sunday of the quarter, and since it was, that was last Sunday, we had God in Country Day, we do it, we're doing it the second Sunday. We do it on Easter uh, usually and on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, times like that. Secondly, has your self-examination before communion been thorough? Do you really look at yourself and see where you are in relationship to the Lord? Is everything right between me and God? I'm not saying you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. Amen? But God knows and you know if there's things in your life that you're dealing with, that you're pushing back against, that you're not doing that God wants you to do. 
Thirdly, are you experiencing any weakness or sickness that might be related to a lack of self-examination before communion? Is there some physical problems in my life because I've not confessed my sin and made it right? Am I carrying bitterness? Have I offended people and not made it right? And then as you take the broken bread, do you think about the physical sacrifices God wants you to make to resist evil? Jesus went through great sacrifices and pain and suffering so that we could be set free from sin. What are we doing so that we can have victory and resist evil in our lives? Number five, as you take the cup, do you remember the sins for which Christ shed his blood? You ever stop and think as you're taking communion, what has God forgiven me of? Don't ever forget where you came from, amen? Don't ever go back, but don't forget what He saved you from. And then number six, will you ask God to give you a hunger for fellowship with Him? Lord, I want to know you better. Lord, I want to know me better so that I can get right and be right. And getting to know Him better starts with knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. It starts with trusting Him. And then after you trust Him, take that next step of obedience, which is following Him in believer's baptism. And then the third step, become a part of a local church, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Christ-honoring church like this one. And so this morning, as we, in just a few moments, partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about where am I in relationship to the Lord, in my life, in my walk? Are there things in my life that I need to deal with? that I need to confess and make right. I'm glad 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you and me to confess. He wants us to make things right. And He wants us to be willing to come to Him and examine our lives and get in fellowship with Him. And you know, it may be that if we do that, there may be some physical healing that takes place in our life because we're not dealing with the tormentors that come as a result of our unconfessed sin in our lives. Would you bow your heads together with me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you tonight for your word, or this morning for your word, and what a wonderful privilege it is that we have it. And we can read it and we can find out what you say about communion and about the Lord's Supper. And I pray that you would just help us today. Search our hearts. And may we surrender our lives to you. And let you have your will and your way in our hearts. Lord, even now, would you and your precious Holy Spirit prompt us Remind us of those things that we need to deal with. If there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, would you help them to take that first step? Others need to follow you in baptism. Take that next step. You've commanded us. When we're, when we're not willing to obey and be scripturally baptized by immersion, the Bible way, then we're pushing back against your command where you told us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You commanded us. Help us to be sensitive to you. And then so oftentimes we stray. 
We need to have some cleansing. Would you prompt us and would you help us, even now, to confess those things to you and to make them right with you? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just ask you this. How many of you would say, nobody's looking around, just between you and me and the Lord? Preacher, there's something in my life I need to deal with. Before I take of communion, I need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. And I want to do that this morning. Pray for me. Would you just lift your hand? God's speaking to me. There's some things. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. Yes. Would you right now just ask the Lord, Lord, I have failed. I have disobeyed. I have sinned. I am sorry. Ask Him to forgive you, to cleanse you and make you worthy. See, none of us in ourselves are worthy, but the Bible says we're made worthy. We're made accepted in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only because of your, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be made accepted. Confess that to Him right now. Lord, would You help us to examine our lives And would you cleanse us as we confess our sin and forsake it? And would you help us to walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did not pick up one of the communion cups, the men, there should be several men in the back that have those for you. If you will raise your hand, we'll get those to you. And guys, if you do that very quickly, we were supposed to have three or four guys there. I only got one guy, so guys, if you'll help me with that. If you did not get a communion cup, hold your hand up real high and we'll get that to you very quickly. Clarence, if you'll go ahead and start, go all the way around and start on this side over here. The other guys were sleeping and they're awake now and we'll get them up here to help us in just a moment. We uh, have gotten away from using the, passing the cups. We may eventually get back to that. Uh, But if you'll just keep your hand up for a moment, they'll get that to you and, and you can help us and be a part of the Lord's Supper. Stephen, hold your hand up. You, you need one, buddy? Oh, I thought you had your hand up. I'm sorry. Uh, ben needs one over there. Keep your hand up high, guys. All right. Very good. We're going to make sure everybody needs one. Jerry needs one over here. All right. Very good. All right, thank you guys, appreciate it. These are servants, right? The disciples were concerned about who was the greatest, and the Lord said it's the ones that serve. And so these guys are the greatest. Oh, let me take that back. I'm not, I'm not sure these, no, I'm just kidding. Thank you, gentlemen, appreciate it. If you pull back just that, there's two tabs there. There's a top one that has your, your uh, bread there, unleavened bread. And you can pull back that, just that clear one. We'll pull back the other one in a moment carefully. It says in 1 first, first Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I re- delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. But in giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. 
So this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. It is not the body. This is not the body of Christ. It represents the body. He said over in verse 26, As oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. It is a picture. It shows something. If I hold up a picture of my wife and say, This is Vicky, that's not really Vicky. It's a picture of her. This is not really the body of Christ. He, his body was crucified on the cross at Calvary once. If this was the body of Christ, we'd be crucifying him again every time we took communion. Hebrews says he died once for all. It's his body. It was broken for me and for you. And so as we take of this, he tells us, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let me pray and then we'll t take of that bread. Father, thank you for the body of our Savior that was so bruised and battered and beaten and broken for us. You paid much too high a price. How oh, I thank you for it. You showed the value that you placed on us by the price you paid for us. Thank you for that broken body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And then if you'll carefully pull back that next tab. I know everybody can do that without spilling it. Verse 25 says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. This represents the blood. It shows the blood. It's a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary. That blood that Jesus shed on the cross, the Bible tells us He took it back and placed it on the mercy seat in heaven as full payment for our sin. Jesus, the songwriter wrote, Jesus paid it all. It's only His blood that can take away our sin. And by the way, aren't you glad His blood cleanses deeper than the stain of sin has ever gone? It's the precious blood of Jesus. And so, let's give thanks for it. Father, we thank You for the precious blood of Your Son. Thank You that we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, the perfect Son of God. Thank You for that blood that was spilled out on the cross at Calvary for me, for each one here today. And we're reminded today of the great price that You paid for us. Thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.